My name is James Rowlands, and in 2015, I started a WNR podcast with my friend, Dan White. And every month, we bring you the latest collections, newest content, 205 Live, and the crown jewel of the WNR NXT update. Also, each month, the latest pay-per-views, and we are live, not only for the big four, but every takeover as well. Plus, in 2019, we go back 20 years and witness the attitude rise and the WCW's demise. Until we've watched everything, we're with you and we we are are the WNR. WNR. Come, little children, come with me. Safe and happy you will be. Away from home, now let us run. We think now you'll have so much fun. Oh, little children, please don't cry. Yes, hello, I am James Rowlands, and as always, I'm joined by, and today it's the Dominar Halloween Special 2019, the fifth annual Halloween Spooktacular, Dan. Are you ready to be scared? Ow! Sorry, I just trod on a plug. That's all right. I mean, it is quite scary. I mean, there's thunder and lightning outside as well. It's kind of weird, and the lights are flickering at the moment. But I don't know what's more scary, our intro today, or the fact that we've got to watch WWE Halloween Havoc 1999 later on. I don't know, but let's try and cheer ourselves up with an alternate intro. And if there's something strange in the neighbourhood, who are you going to call, Dan? Ghostbusters! If there's something weird... And it don't look good. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. I ain't afraid of no ghost. I ain't afraid of no ghost. If you're seeing things running through your head, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Yeah. An invisible man sleeping in your bed. Who are you going to call, Dan? I ain't telling no one if there's a man in my bed. <laughs> Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. I ain't afraid of no ghost. Well, there you go. We've got Halloween Havoc Night 9 in a bit, but first, uh, let's do a couple of, or a few scary stories to get us in the uh, the Halloween mood. And like we said, with the, the network playing up, I'm sh- sure we're going to have lots of time as well. So Dan, time for some scary Halloween stories. And what we're going to do, we'll let Halloween Havoc play in the background, because it's Lasheroo versus Disco Inferno, and I don't want to sit and watch it. So, Dan? Yes, well, this one involves Rowdy Roddy Piper and his house getting haunted by wrestlers Ooh. and uh, if you can see it now i've got uh, we've got the lights off <laughs> and i've got a torch shining up at my face it's scaring me well given the fact that it was inducted by wrestle crap we're taking this of salt and a very big one but assuming it was true it's potentially a chilling one the late rowdy roddy piper piper's account of being haunted by some of the best friends he had in his wrestling career on a 2013 episode of the Biography Channel series, The Haunting of, paranormal expert Kim Russo, and no relation to my Twitter friend Vince, I guess, has spoken to Piper at his Portland, Oregon home, where he told some bizarre yet spooky haunted by Adrian Adonis, who supposedly triggered a small fire in his home as a rib, experiencing weird activity in his home, and as Russo, Kim Russo, 
sought to identify the spirits haunting Piper's residence, a few dead wrestlers turned out to be among them. Owen Hart, Kurt Henning and Keith Frank, Adrian Adonis's real name. Once again, it's a story that may have been overblown for TV's sake, but let's face it. Who wants to deal with a fire, fire preferably started by your prankster's friend's ghost? I'd hate to be caught by the ghost, ghosties, Dan. Even worse, I'd hate to be caught by the ghoulies. Hey, anyway, next one. Ox Baker's killer finishing move. By today's standards, the heart punch is an oversimplistic, antiquated finisher that wouldn't get over even if an indie darling did it ironically. But when Ox Baker was using it in the 60s and 70s, it was a devastating So devastating that many claimed it had literally killed two wrestlers in the early 70s, causing them to have heart. The first supposed victim of Baker's heart punch was a wrestler named Alberto Torres, who, in 1971, died in a ring after taking the finisher and losing a match. One year later, Georgia wrestling legend Ray Gunkel had been a recipient of a heart punch during a match against Baker, and while he won the match... He died later in the day of a heart attack. In both cases, it was determined that Torres and Gunkel had pre-existing heart conditions, and as such, Baker's career didn't suffer as the deaths of the two heart punch victims were in the end an unfortunate coincidence brought on by the deadly finish. Oh, new Jack, and uh, you could be mistaken for thinking he has an actual working vagina on his forehead. But apparently he repeatedly stabs William Lane. Well, New Jack is a loose cannon. Literally and figuratively scar you for life. If you're a wrestler and he doesn't like you. And in 2004, he again had tried to kill one of his opponents. This time pulling out a knife and stabbing William Jason Lane at a Thunder Wrestling Federation match. Not only did Jack stab Lane once, depending on whose account it was. He stabbed him anywhere between nine times, including some stabs to Lane's neck area. Jack was charged for aggravated assault to commit murder. But even if he had found himself in trouble with the law once again, he has still shown no remorse for his actions, proving that the man truly belongs in a cell and not the kind of cell that WWE wrestlers compete in every October. New Jack is fucked up, isn't he? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, the amount of stories about New Jack... Well, up next, Jake Functional Family Tree. For most of his adult life, Jake the Snake Roberts had wrestled with well more than his fair share of personal demons. Despite an attempt to find religion in the 90s, he battled on and off addictions to alcohol and various drugs. Though it seemed that his friendship with DDP and the practice of the yoga has helped him turn his life around in recent years. What would have caused Roberts' life to go awry like it did? Well, in the video, Jake the Snake Roberts, Pick Your Poison, the W Hall of Famer claimed his father, wrestling legend Grizzly Smith, his grandmother, but had instead sexually assaulted her 13-year-old daughter, resulting in Jake's conception. This was a claim he also made in the Barry Blowstein documentary Beyond the Mat, and while Smith is no longer around to dispute these accusations, it's clear that his son has lived a very troublesome existence and dealt with, at very least, some form of familial dysfunction while growing up. Wow. <laughs> no words That's... for that. I told you it's going to get going to get dark boys and girls well james beware the fourth of july and roman history tells us to beware the ides of march wwe history tells us to beware the fourth of july normally july the fourth is a date in which america marks her independence and it's a day of fireworks and sundry celebrations it's also a day where many a wwe performer has met their untimely end or suffered gruesome injuries in a freak accident. 
And that's not Lars Sullivan's finisher, by the way. Hence, many WWE wrestlers in the 90s calling the first week of July the killer calendar. Two notable 4th of July deaths in WWE history came in 1988 when Adrian Adonis and two other wrestlers were killed in a vehicular accident in Canada. And in 94, when referee Joey Morella, Gorilla Monsoon's son, fell asleep at the wheel and died in a fatal car crash with his passenger Harvey Wimpleman's life saved by the fact that he was wearing a seatbelt. Brutus Beefcake, on the other hand, survived a parasailing accident on 4th of July in 1990, but required intensive surgery to fix his then, now and forever disfigured face. (laughs) Up next, it's going to get worse. Art Bar dies in his young son's company. Had Art Bar lived up to this day, he probably would have been a legend of the business like his close friends Chris Jericho and Eddie Guerrero. But as a young American competing in the Mexican wrestling scene in the early 90s, he was constantly tormented by personal demons, struggling with drug and alcohol abuse. He also had a previous sexual assault case weighing down him and causing WCB to can him in night one after mere months working as a Beetlejuice-inspired character, the Juicer. Bar's short and tragic life ended in November 1994 when he was found lying next to his five-year-old son, Dexter, having died with a mixture of alcohol and drugs in his bloodstream. He was only 28 years old. Even more tragically, Dexter Bar also died at a shockingly young age. The plots claims he was killed in a horse riding accident at the age of 14. We've got another story here. Las Matavichetas, the old lady killer. The name Juana Blazera might not ring a bell to many people outside of Mexico, but that's the real name of a female wrestler who went by the name of La Dama del Silencio, or the silent lady in English. But while she was plying her trade in the world of Lucha Libre, she was living a far more violent secret life. One as a serial killer who played on elderly women, hence the nickname the Mexican press had given her, La Matre Viquitas, or Old Lady Killer. Barraza, who was 48 at the time of her 2006 arrest, is believed to have killed anywhere from 25 to 50 women between 98 and 2006. While she did confess to some of the murders, she denied most of them. When she was tried in 2008, she was sentenced to 759 years in prison. But even if Mexican law only allows a maximum stay of 60 years behind bars, it's highly likely that she will die in prison and never walk free for the crimes she has admitted to and allegedly committed. Fucking hell! That's like some Breaking Bad shit you got there. That is fucked up for Halloween. Uh, Alright, so that's, they're pretty fucking scary stories. Um, one a horrible thing that happened, and it's, it's 20 years ago actually, um, as well. Uh, it's D-Lo Brown versus Droz. That happened. I mean, the results of the rest of the match may be predetermined, but the wrestlers put their well-being on the line every time they step in the ring. During the 99 SmackDown TV taping, D-Lo Brown fought Droz. It was supposed to be an Audrey match. Uh, D-Lo slipped on a wet spot on the mat while performing a move. Called a running powerbomb, and as a result, Droz fell on his head, fractured two discs in his neck, and it left him paralysed from the neck down. That was 20 accidents happening in the ring and everything. Um, but try and turn us around, Dan, and uh, what was the most scariest wrestling story you've ever heard? Brock Lesnar and the Big Show, two of the biggest athletes world wrestling entertainment has ever had and two that have produced plenty of great spots in their time with the company. I mean, who could forget when the ring imploded on SmackDown after a superplex from the top rope? However, there was one moment between the pair of both men 
That would have. Earlier in the year, Brock Lesnar took part in a Q&A session with Rod Pedersen in front of nearly a 1,000 patrons at the Prince of Wales Centre. And he spoke about the time a match with the Big Show went terribly and horrifyingly wrong. Lesnar and Show were wrestling during a live show in South Africa during the former's first run with the company. Back then, the Beast Incarnate was a rising star and signed full-time to the company, not like his sporadic appearances these days. But there was a problem. And a problem that made Lesnar's night miserable and rather disgusting. A big show real name Paul White was suffering from food poisoning going into the matchup, And despite not feeling great, he was adamant the show, pardon the pun, must go on. So after saying he still wanted to wrestle, the two giants made their way down to the ring. This was a bad mistake. After Lesnar's slam show to the canvas, the seven foot giant exploded with diarrhoea. And unfortunately for Brock, the shit went all over him. About the incident, Pedersen said before long he was doing 300 shows per year around the globe and while making millions, it was a real grind. However, he was never afraid of hard work. And thankfully, for all involved, this happened at a live show, or unthankfully, because we never got any video footage of it. I mean, we've seen the big show make a grown man piss himself on telly, but we've seen Brock Lesnar literally make the big show (laughs) shit himself. Or we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it, unfortunately. Um, do you know, I'm having so much fun. I think we're gonna we're gonna move on to Urban Legends in a minute, but let's just refocus quickly on what we we've got on in the background as these guys come out in wrestling masks. Uh so the pay per view that we're watching is uh Halloween Havoc nine 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 from Las Vegas to the MGM Grand Arena. Eight thousand five hundred and sixty four in attendance, course twenty fourth October. Commentary is Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan. Bio at 0.52 wasn't great. Run through the car quickly. Yes, we had a WCW Cruiserweight title match. It was the match that we was talking over because it was that shit. Yep. Disco Inferno versus Lash LaRue. And Disco Inferno won that match. Disco Inferno won. So, yeah, I mean, it's standard match. This is your WCW World Tag Team titles. Full crack anywhere. Triangle match. Because Conan and Mysterio have been stripped of the championships. It's the Filthy Animals Kid. But Harlem Heat versus the first family. We've just seen there. Morris and Nobbs coming out. We've got a singles match. Eddie Guerrero versus Perry Saturn. Um, uh, we've got Berlin versus Brad Armstrong. Can't wait for that. We've got a TV title match. Chris Benoit versus Rick Steiner. Bret Hart versus the Total Package. Lex Luger. We've got a WCW World Heavyweight title match. Sting versus Hulk Hogan. And we've got Sid Vicious versus Goldberg for the United States title. And we've got a strap match. DDP with Kimberly versus woo, Ric Flair. Yeah, and then we've got a very special main event. But we won't go on to that. We'll be talking about it. As it goes along. Uh, so the tag team match now is coming up. Well, Urban Le- well, let's, let's move on then, shall we? And we'll talk about Urban Legends whilst this match goes on. Because I'm not expecting great things from this. Urban Legends and pro wrestling go hand in hand. With the lines of what is real and what is fake consistently blurred. The business is more than prone to share of rumours, myths and legends. Some of which are, in fact, true. Well, over the years, pro wrestling legends have come and gone. But this particular crop of tales from the mat seems to have withstood... The test of time. Keep in mind that it's simply a celebration of urban legends should be treated as such. Urban legends like Dave Meltzer breaking news should be taken with a grain of salt. <laughs> we'll quote the exhibitionist. Straight from the too much information category comes tales of Raven and his propensity to walk around backstage nude. The backstage stroll in his birthday suit reportedly enraged Austin. 
then married to Deborah McMichael as he was coming out of the shower in the same vicinity where she was practicing a promo. The two engaged in what had to have been an awkward heated argument as a jealous and overprotective Austin did not approve of a nude man parading around his wife. Oh, I don't know what's wrong with that. Well, up next, Sid Vicious and his squirrel. If this doesn't go the way I want this story to go, I'm going to be very upset. For whatever reason, Sid reportedly had a pet squirrel he used to take with him everywhere he went. Do you know something? If that was any other wrestler, I would have gone, don't believe you. I believe him. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. Uh, with Pro Wrestling being the unofficial past the time business, a few wrestlers dared Sid to place a squirrel in his pants for 60 seconds. 30 seconds into the dare, which Sid accepted, the squirrel did exactly what Sid feared it would do, and it went to find some nuts. And Sid required emergency medical attention to his unmentionables. Well, if he had half a brain, James... It'd be oh, half he the man does. he says he is. Uh. <clears throat> it's Clorox. Ah, right. Well, superstar Billy Graham ingests Clorox. And for those not familiar with Clorox, it is a kind of bleach. Well, the prototypical WWE superstar was in many ways the inspiration for the Hulk Hogan character. Superstar Billy Graham was not of urban myths. The most odd of these myths states that Billy Graham once ingested Clorox on a dare because apparently dyeing his hair just wasn't enough. Well, up next, extreme championship killing. One of the reasons ECW was so successful that it personified rebellion in every way possible. With so many of the wrestlers of old being labelled as outcasts and rebels, it was only fitting that the promotion was built around hardcore garbage wrestling. So it should be no surprise that there have been long-standing legends that at least four ECW wrestlers have allegedly killed somebody. And no, it's not New Jack four times. I would take a stab at these, but I don't want them to take a stab at me. So I'm going to leave that alone. Moolah and Mae Young... Fabulous together. One of the fixtures of the Attitude Era was pro wrestling legends, the late Fabulous Moolah and Mae Young. The two were inseparable. So much so, in fact, that rumours and legends began spouting that they were, in fact, lovers. Mark Henry had to have been pissed. I mean, can you picture that? Picture that right now for me. No, well. Well, how does JBL get clean? That's my next question to you. John Bradshaw Layfors has always been a backstage bully in professional wrestling. Won't be hard pressed to tell the tale of his career without mentioning his backstage indiscretions. The most disturbing of such antics is that he reportedly used to haze new guys by jumping in the shower of them and helping the reluctant young guys wash up. Why? Um, <laughs> how would you react if you had just joined WWE, you got your big shot, and some big fucking Texan comes in, <laughs> hanging brain... Offering to wash you. And he's got a big cowbell. (laughs) 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 Moving very, very swiftly on. Norman Smiley's one-hitter-quitter on Rick Steiner. Norman Smiley, despite being a talented worker, was a jobber for the majority of his days in WCW. As always seems to be the case in wrestling, where you would never guess who the legit tough guys are, Smiley reportedly turned Rick Staff jobber when he knocked him out with a single punch during a bar fight. I'd like to believe that one's true. Yeah, that'd be incredible, wouldn't it, you know? Well, Macho Man Randy Savage is crazy, part one. You don't even need to know Randy Savage in real life to surmise the fact that he is nuts. One of the many stories supporting the fact that Savage indeed has a few screw loose focus on his extremely jealous tendencies. While married to Elizabeth Savage reportedly insisted his bride be locked in her own separate locker room. No one could look at her. I can believe that. Yeah. <clears throat> well, say it ain't so, Lita. 
Now, Lita is one of a handful of internet darlings amongst the internet wrestling community. No, James, not that type of internet darling. Or was she? Oh. Well, Google any urban legends surrounding Lita and the results may disappoint those who consider themselves fans of the former WWE. The most unfavourable and resilient legends surrounding Lita are tales from her early days training to be a pro wrestler. Apparently, Lita offered certain inappropriate favours to anyone who would train her while she was in Mexico. Gobble, gobble. Oh, I'd say, what, the cooking turkey? Gotcha, gotcha. Paging Mr. Hart. Bruce Hart is one of the many characters in professional wrestling. A member of the famed Hart family, Bruce has developed somewhat of a reputation as a drunken uncle. Bruce's spot on the list is cemented by a story of Hart impregnating a 14-year-old when he was a stuffsuit teacher in Canada. The legend's never been able to be confirmed. However, did Hart did recently have a child with a 28-year-old former student, and that's twice the age of the 14-year-old. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Kevin Sullivan, where are your pants? <laughs> what? Former WCW wrestler Kevin Sullivan was one of the standout heels in the mid-90s before coming a booker during the dying days of WCW. Among his many roles in professional wrestling, Kevin Sullivan has gained urban legend notoriety for being a nudist during his recreational time. Oh, you'd be getting on a farm with Raven then, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Well, you've got fucking Raven and Kevin Sullivan walking around hanging brain and then you've got JBL, JBL. jumping in the shower with you. <laughs> Fuck. No wonder why wrestlers are so fucking screwed up uh, nowadays. Right, it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be scary, horrible stories if we're not talking about the Von Eriks. And uh, the Von Eriks are one of the oldest and most famous fa- wrestling families. Fortunately, also at the centre of some of the oldest and most famous urging legends, there's a story of Gene Kanitsky buying Kerry Von Erich a hooker when he was 12. There's a story of Kerry Von Erich killing a cat. There's another hooker story, this time involving an 11-year-old Chris Von Erich. With Lacey Von Erich's unheralded wrestling career recently ended prematurely, the legends may surface that the chick was a great worker. The click and the crown. The click had heat with everyone. Jerry Lawler was no exception, and upon his arrival in WWF, many were unappreciative of his attitude, which was described as arrogant and entitled. Rumour has it. Rumour has it. That the click, being Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash and Shawn Walkman, with the help of came up with the idea of humbling Lawler by desecrating his crown. Here's a hint as to how the discretion reportedly went down. It happens. Ah, I see what you did there. Well, let's just pop back to the paper quickly, because like WCW, they've, uh, Harlem Heat pinned uh, one of the first family in the backstage area. At the same time, Kidman pins one of the first family in the ring. So there's confusion running around. Harlem Heat, no one knows what's going on. That is so WCW right now. Absolutely. So Harlem Heat become the new tag team champions in a in a clusterfuck of a match. And this should be different now because we've got the, the new creative control. You know, the powers that be are right in WCW and they're going to save things because your Twitter friend, Vince Russo, is on board now, Dan. If anyone can save WW, Vince Russo is the man. Well, back to Urban Legends and will the real Kane please stand up? With Kane under a mask for all these years, it was only a matter of time for the body double rumours materialised. Many urban legends found in Kane report that between the time Kane wore a mask and eventually took it off, there have been at least two people who played the role of Kane. Two! It's almost common knowledge that the role of Kane has always been played by Glenn Jacobs. Of course, we did have a fake Kane that was uh, Glenn ja- uh, not Glenn Jacobs, uh, Luke Gallows. So, I mean... Didn't Undertaker also don the Kane mask for a, a brief moment in time yeah, as well? Yeah, exactly, yeah. 
Well, fun with Pat Patterson. And Pat Patterson was the first Intercontinental Champion. However, with all the urban legends there are about Patterson, it's tough to discern whether that is even fact. With Patterson being virtually the first gay man of wrestling, Pat Patterson legends have have it that Patterson had a litany of homosexual relationships with wrestling stars from Lombardi, the Brooklyn baller, to Jacques Rougeau. Tommy Lee fights Shawn Michaels. A rumour sign from backstage WrestleMania 11 report that a jealous Tommy Lee and Shawn Michaels engaged in a backstage brawl as Shawn Michaels' opponent Diesel was set to be escorted to the ring by Lee's then-wife, Pamela Allison. So wisely, Tommy Lee not choosing to fight Kevin Nash. He chose the smaller guy, <laughs> Shawn Michaels. Well, Bruiser Brody to crash the WrestleMania party. Lifetime Rebel and one of the greatest heels ever, Bruiser Brody was reportedly paid money to perform a shoot run-in during the main event of WrestleMania 1. Had that happened, the possible impact of the otherwise legendary WrestleMania series is intriguing to consider. Number <laughs> Next one, Macho Man Randy Savage's Crazy Part 2. Two! Uh, Hogan's WrestleMania 9, Black Eye. Since Hogan showed up at WrestleMania 9 with a black eye, no one saw how it happened. Speculation found a natural habitat in the conversation where the shiner came from. The most famous theory is how Hogan received a black eye was that Macho Man Randy Savage punched him backstage after blaming him for his divorce with Miss Elizabeth. Hogan and more reportable points maintain that he got the black eye during a skiing incident. HBK versus Marines in Syracuse. Well, Bret Hart referenced this infamous beatdown in a promo during the Slammy Awards. Apparently, Michaels, who was surrounded by British Bulldog and Diesel, felt confident enough to make passes at women who were with a group of Marines while in Syracuse. The tumultuous situation, situation degenerated into a fight where Michaels was apparently roughed up by the Marines, only to be saved by the aforementioned Diesel and Bulldog. Yeah, it's quite a famous story as well, because the, the WWF said there was like 12 guys, and then the uh, story count was only kind of like three of them. Psycho Sid does his impression of the WrestleMania 13 main event. WrestleMania 13 will be known as card saved by one match, Austin versus Hart. The otherwise mediocre card saw a plodding main event between the Undertaker and Sid, and the only noteworthy story for the match outside of Taker winning the title was the legend that Sid shit himself during the main event. Imagine what the Tuesday would have smelled like. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> Hulk Hogan's stories of Andre the Giant's size at WrestleMania 3. And everyone knows Hulk Hogan is filled with stories, and no story was bigger then a tale he recently told of Andre the Giant being in excess of £600 at the time of WrestleMania 3, where Hogan would eventually slam the Giant. As big as Andre seems more legend than legit. Well, up next, a very controversial one, the one we've talked about. It's, you know, boiling on controversial than anything else. Randy Savage and Stephanie McMahon's forbidden love. Vince McMahon seems to possess the ability to put aside personal matters for the sake of business. However, the match around Randy Savage won a few stars and arguably the biggest star never to have returned to WWE after leaving the company in 94. Legend has it that Savage had an appropriate relationship with a 14-year-old. They're always 14. Stephanie McMahon calls it a rift between Savage and McMahon, which may or may not explain why he's still not been inducted into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> the story behind HBK's first firing in WWE. HBK has been fired multiple times in WWE, both on and off camera. One of the most historically relevant tales of an HBK firing involves Jimmy Jack Funk and an incident regarding Funk Michaels and Michaels' former tag team partner, Marty Jannetty. 
Michaels himself says that he and Janetti were gathering up their fellow wrestlers when Janetti became rather close with a young lady who was at the gathering. Funk proceeded to egg on Michaels to drink. Michaels declined. Refusing to let up, Funk insisted Michaels live up to his reputation as a party animal right then and there. Michaels claims to have smashed a beer bottle over his own head before everything went back to normal. Next day, Vince McMahon called both Michaels and Janetti into his office and subsequently fired them. The rest... As they say, is history. Well, after a match involving RVD and Sabu wound up, he went around the ECW locker room saying he was going to kick RVD's ass, Sabu's ass, etc. Word got around to Van Damme, who went up to Taz and said, Pick the hand. Taz replied, What? And RVD punched him in the mouth. Taz went on the defensive saying he didn't want to fight him. <clears throat> well, Sonny and Chris Candido score some coke. I've heard it done in different ways, i.e., Tammy fucked Ahmed Johnson for it, etc. But instead of taking the coke to Chris, she spends the night with HBK. All the while, Candido is confused as hell. The next day in the hotel lobby, Sean sees Chris, pushes nostril clothes, sniffs and says, thanks for the bump, Chris. Candido gets into a huge fight with Sonny, goes to the WWF road agent and tries to quit. The agent tells him he can't quit without written notice, so he takes a piece of paper and writes, I quit, Chris Candido on it, and walks out. He wasn't hired back by WWF. No, I don't. The time Andre shit on Bad News Allen. Well, there's there's a legend about Andre the Giant losing control of his bowels. And apparently it's a tra- true story. He was in Mexico City and we used to wrestle at the Bull Ring every Sunday. And it was always packed. I used to think it used to hold around 20,000 people for the bullfights. That afternoon, Andre had diarrhea. I don't know what he was eating or drinking, but they got into the ring and he shot him into the corner and gave him the bum rush that he'd give you. And his bowels just went. I mean, it went all over my chest and everything. The smell, I fell out of the ring and I was trying not to puke. I went back to the locker room and had to walk up these long stairs. As I was going up there, people were like, wow, what is that smell? Yeah, that's a true story. Well, what about Triple H and Christy Hemi? Hmm? Triple H one of the biggest names in the history of professional wrestling, not to mention one of the most successful W superstars stepping in the ring. And 40 on our list. He got his start as a mid-car star known as Hunter Hearst Elmsley, but skyrocketed to fame as called a member of DX. And he blazed a trail as a singles career. With his position in the company to hold so much weight, it should come as no surprise that the wrestling world was shocked when rumours started making rounds with an affair that Triple H posed with Christy Hemi. Those rumours say that Hemi was released from a contract when Stephanie Mann got wind of the romance, and Hemi herself had given other vague reasons for a release. The rumours have never been outright denied. I've got a little one for you. It's only a short one. <laughs> Story of my life. Well, Vern Gagne body slammed a fellow resident at the retirement home where he lives. And apparently someone else has commented saying, Haha, I've read this in the newspaper. The dude died. Still a beast. What about Jeff Jarrett versus Charles? Well, the man named Virgil is not just the centre of a popular internet meme. In 2016, he seems to have trouble attracting visitors to his autograph signings. And that has led to fans taking pictures of him sitting by himself at merchandise tables and posting them to the internet as part of the Lonely Virgil phenomenon. But he actually wants a pretty popular part of the World Wrestling Federation and originally the bodyguard of the Hall of Famer Ted DiBiase until he broke out to his own thing. Unfortunately for Virgil, once his program with Ted DiBiase was behind him, he didn't have much left to offer and his appeal began to fade. Perhaps he could take some solace loan being known as Lonely Virgil and being the centre of an urban legend that says the reason he received his job in the WF is because he showed his penis to Pat Patterson, which was very impre- which Pat was very impressed with what he saw. <coughs> One urban legend involving Shawn Michaels that seems too crazy to be true, but it's still never been denied, is one that Shawn had a secret romantic relationship 
with the chairman of WWE himself, Vince McMahon. These two have always been famously close to Michael's got by. A lot of things our wrestlers would have been fired for, and this is likely the basis for his rumour. Uh, well, back to the pay-per-view. DDP just came out and wasted another 15 minutes talking about Ric Flair, a match he's going to have later. Apparently, Roddy Piper used to have a young manservant type who travels with him wherever he goes, holding his bags, opening doors for him, etc. Piper and others refer to the young boy as Cocksucker, like it's his name. Kerry Von Erich re- really had his foot amputated because he thought he could walk across the room on his just surgically repaired foot for a cheeseburger, thus crushing it. Alright, it might be too. Oh, hang on a minute. Baddie Grower's coming out now to face uh, Perry Saturn. I've got just a couple of quick stories here. A coked-up Kerry and Kevin Von Erich were once playing with a saw blade in the back hallways at the Sportatorium. Kerry saw a cat, so he threw the saw blade at the cat, killing it. And then, Kerry Von Erich sees a cat in the All Japan locker room. He decides to put the iron claw on it, killing the poor kitty. What's this fucking problem with cats? The Rock and Roll Express walk in on Jimmy Valiant, laying under the, laying on the floor, jerking off under a glass table that a hooker is shitting on. Ricky throws up and leaves while Robert stays to watch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so our first bit of action here. We'll come back to the stories and the calls. We'll talk about the in a bit. But we'll start off with Eddie Guerrero and Perry Saturn. This should be a good match. These two guys are hugely talented wrestlers. We've been watching a bit of greatest Eddie Guerrero matches as well, haven't we? And uh, he's just awesome, isn't he, you know? Absolutely, yeah. He's uh, an impeccable worker. <clears throat> um, you know, a great legend who... Definitely died far, far too soon. Yeah, without a doubt. But, I mean, just a great worker. And uh, I, I think, you know, if we, I don't know where he was on our WNR50 list, but it's definitely someone who's, like I said, the legend has grown because his work is really untouchable at this moment. Even in WSW, you know, he's everything just crisp and everything's good. And Saturn's a guy who's, you know, had his moments. But both of these guys are getting frustrated in WSW at this time. And there's no doubt this, this show's been a clusterfuck so far, hasn't it, you know? Absolutely, yeah. It's not even been worth following or watching, to be honest. No, and this is the first match finally looking on. But Ed Grow and Saturn. I mean, what would you do if you were in charge of WSW and you had talent like this? I mean, how would you try and sort out the problem, you know? I would get rid of a lot of the shit that's there. And, you know, I'd build the company around the likes of Eddie Guerrero, Perry Saturn, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko. You know, I would... I'd do away with Hogan, Flair. I'd have Sting as one of my top guys. Goldberg up there as well. Even DDP. Yeah, I think that, that and you would have him on like these guys would definitely be on US title level right now, wouldn't they? You know, absolutely, what I mean? yeah. And I think this is what we've seen the kind of mishandling it, especially these past couple of years. They've not really moved different places, and he's been out injury for a while. But Nitro's got to a point; it's kind of unwatchable now, which is a shame. But Eddie's on the outside with Saturn. Just move their steel steps into position. Looking to bounce Saturn's head off here, but Saturn gets his foot up to block it. Picks up Guerrero and just Gorilla Press drops him onto the steel stairs. Well, one of the stories about Perry Saturn and why he got given the moppy catch is because he beat the shit out of the guy during Shotgun uh, Saturday night. When he, well, not Shotgun, you know, one of the, the programs that was there. And uh, people weren't happy with him. But I, I think there's something about Saturn. I, I like his look. You know, there's no doubt he's, he's a good worker. Yeah, he might have a screw loose. But it's a shame with Perry Saturn in his... Uh, Wrestling career, never really found the success of the others, did he? You know, when we talk about the kind of radicals or something like that. Absolutely, yeah. I think Dean Malenko is someone that maybe could have had uh, a lot more. Would have been better suited for nowadays. Do you think that would have been better suited for now? I don't know. He has got an abundance of talent. and I reckon he could fit in better with nowadays talent. 
you know, he seems too advanced for 20 years ago. Mm. I think with Eddie Guerrero, I think he would have gone to the top no matter what kind of generation he was in. I mean, imagine him coming along now and being able to face guys like, you know, AJ Styles or Ricochet or someone like that. Just be incredible matches. Absolutely, and especially his, uh, you know, his gimmick and his character, you know, his uh, cheat-to-win kind of side of Eddie Guerrero as well, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. <clears throat> well, Saturn has taken control of Eddie Guerrero ever since the stairs, just working over the hand in the ring. But credit to WSW, I do like the big pumpkin and the big thing holding it at the entrance. I think we are missing out on something like that. I would love to see the AEW do something like that down the line, or even if WWE want to bring back Halloween Havoc, just have one of those sets set up like that. Fans not really into this, chanting boring. And Sam picks Eddie up, all the way up. Must have been at least 12 feet in the air. At least 15 foot up in the air and just drops him. And then Saturn just stomps away and goes back to the arm. Now he's got the cross arm breaker in and Eddie's struggling to get to that bottom rope. A lovely cross arm breaker locked in. Eddie Guerrero's shoulders down on the mat but managing to get him up before the referee counts to three. And Saturn just keeping Eddie down at the moment. A lovely roll for and Now he's got him kind of like in a hammerlock. With Eddie's head between his legs. Oh, Eddie making his comeback though. Yeah, managed to get up, take Saturn down with a move, go for a pin. Couldn't get the guy down though. Got him back up now, Irish route reversed. Eddie jumping over the head of Saturn, looking for a back suplex. Saturn with a standing switch. Guerrero manages to turn around but still gets caught with similar to an exploder suplex. Saturn into the cover, but Guerrero with his foot on the bottom rope. <coughs> and that was nice, you don't see that often. Saturn took advantage of Eddie's foot across the rope by working on the leg. And Saturn's trying to be on top recently. Now changes his plan of attack to the leg of Eddie Guerrero. And just putting all his weight on the inside of the leg of Guerrero. You know, possible ACL damage there to it. Could be hyperextend his knee. You don't know. That's almost up there as bad as having internal bleeding. What would you rather have? Your equilibrium all shot? Mm. Hyperextension of a limb mm. or bleeding internally? Probably hyperextension because it happens so rarely, you know. So when it did finally happen, you'd be in super trouble. And look at Saturn just working the leg already. I mean, the fans aren't happy about this, but I mean, this is wrestling. There's no doubt about it. These two guys could definitely go. They've probably been told not to do much because they don't want to embarrass the talent later on the card. Well, but it seems like the fans only want to see a Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair matchup or something. Like, you know, it's they want to see back scratches and. Pokes to the eyes and woos and strutting around. You know, it's they don't appreciate what they're seeing. It's, it's crazy to think, you know, we've got a chance for this this roster try and chase things up. They're just going exactly so like I said. We've still got we've got DDP and Flair. We've got Hogan and Sting. It's the same guys being used, and most of these people aren't watching. Look at them; they've got different direction. And now Eddie's got the arm. He's trying to work on Saturn now, and Eddie's going on the attack. Looks like he's maybe trying to get that Kimura in. Oh, Saturn managed to roll through, nearly got pinned, but managed to power Eddie up. He's got him held high above his head with just one arm. Slams him down. And Saturn now, not going for the cover, he's going to go. Second rope, moonsault. One, two, no, Guerrero with the kick out. Oh. Saturn going for it again, but Eddie putting his knees up, buying himself some separation. And now Eddie going to go for a suplex, hits it, and now he's going to go up for the frog splash. Oh, went for it, but Saturn moved. <clears throat> now both men up to the feet, Saturn with a punch. Two dry hands, looking to run the ropes. Eddie Guerrero ducks it, springboard, but Guerrero, lovely leaping ability, catches Saturn with a drop kick to the midsection. Now both men struggling to get to the feet. Guerrero with an Irish whip sends Saturn into the opposite corner. Comes charging in. Saturn alley oops him over though, sends him face first into the turnbuckle. 
Now places him on the turn buckle. Aguero just smashed his head into. Both men in a very precarious position. Now Eddie with a back elbow knocking Saturn off. Oh, but Saturn kicking the legs out from Eddie Guerrero, crutching him on the top rope. Well, Saturn went up with Eddie Guerrero, threw him off the top. Rolls over for a cover, but Guerrero getting the shoulder up at two. Two. I like the guy in the crowd with a cowboy hat. He's, he's obviously thought he's gone out tonight with a USA jacket, white cap, probably wearing cowboy boots and thought, I look good. And, and he's gone with that look. He's stuck with it. Mustache, he gets bonus points for that as well. Credit to him. And Eddie Guerrero now on top. Again, sat and placed him there. Looks like maybe Crucifix powerbomb. No, Guerrero rolling over, landing on his feet. Hit a lovely vertical suplex on Saturn, who's now stunned in the corner. It's Guerrero's turn to go for a superplex, perhaps. Brilliant technical ability from Guerrero. And here comes Ric Flair with a crowbar. Yes, because this match was such a very good match that it needed a Ric Flair to wrap it. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, we don't want to finish, do we? Absolutely not. Why break the habit of a lifetime? Exactly. So Flair now just stomping on Eddie, causing the disqualification finish. And that is how WCW fucks things up. Alright, so how uh, to ruin young wrestlers in WCW. So after that match, Ric Flair... Well, Ric Flair ruined that match anyway. Completely destroyed uh, Eddie Guerrero. And then Kidman came down to try and save face. Got destroyed by said crow. But Tori Wilson came out. Ric Flair sexually assaulted her. Giving a kiss, but it's fine though, Dan, because she liked it, so that's fine, isn't it? Yes, yeah, that's it's all right. Uh, and then we saw someone laid out in the back, and then it, we realised it was Buff Bagwell and Jeff Jarrett, who had just recently jumped to uh, WSW, that's J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T. Of course, they've been fighting, and whilst they came out to the ring, because why have a match at a pay-per-view, Lex Luger came out with a guitar and hit Buff over the head with it. Explain that one. Match afterwards as well, Berlin's push is well and truly over. The former Alex Wright, the Wunderkid, he lost to Brad Armstrong. And now we're going to have Rick Steiner trying to get the TV title from Chris Benoit. Uh, so, during this, because I know what's going to happen because it's WCW at this point, should we talk about the world's most dangerous wrestler of all time? Ken Shamrock. No, no, not him. No, 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 no. Someone even more feared than that. We'll talk about Haku. Go for it. Well, he's a Tongan fresh wrestler known as Haku, King Haku, King Tonga, and Meng in WSW, and considered by his peers and even his bosses the most terrifying man in the sport. Well, Haku neither competed in the Olympics nor did he get into MMA. His early discipline was sumo, in which he didn't actually excel. So he moved to professional wrestling where he never moved beyond the mid-card level in any of the major industries, major industries that he worked in Despite feuding with top-level stars, why was it then that he was so feared? Well, in the scripted world of wrestling, most wrestlers are nothing uh, like they seem. They got along well with fellow wrestlers behind the curtain. Some of the most popular wrestlers were considered soft and easy going by others in the locker room. But Aku was the kind of guy who wouldn't refrain from indulging in altercations and confrontations. The last thing the locker room ever wanted was Faku to lose his shit because they knew the lengths he would go for retribution. And there was nothing they could do about it. He was very well known for his crazy toughness and insane strength. Well, WWE in an article on their website wrote, Haku has the reputation of being perhaps the toughest man to step in the ring. Just the mention of his name would send a chill up the spine of his foes and some of his friends too. Well, there are various instances of stories involving Haku that prove his notoriety. While some of the stories are 100% true, 
Nobody knows whether the few others are embellished or not, but several wrestlers back up by saying they've seen such insane things happening in the front of their own eyes. No one gets that much respect from his peers without having been pulled off some truly unbelievable acts. So here are the stories from other wrestlers about the scariest man in the history of wrestling, Haku. We start off with a Jesse Barr incident. The backstage altercation with Jesse Barr, who wrestled as Jimmy Jack Funk, is one of the most notable and legendary instances surrounding Haku's infamy. Well, the story goes that sometime in 1987, while working a tour of Puerto Rico, Bard decided to kick dirt onto a man who was digging ditches. Haku, offended by his slight against a hard-working man, allegedly ripped out Bard's eye clean out of his socket. Some versions of the story claim that as a result of Haku gouging one of Bard's eyeballs out, Bard had to wear a glass eye for the rest of the career. After this fight, Haku had a reputation at dogged wrestlers from backstage confrontations. Well, years after this incident, Haku himself spoke about it, revealing only to be partially true. He claimed that the altercation did happen with him getting Barr into a position where he could actually pop his eye out of his socket. But the realisation that Barr was like a brother on the road with family to feed, that's what stopped the Tongan from going through with it. Many wrestlers, however, claim that he did actually gouge out of one of, one of Barr's eyeballs. Ah, see, he could have done it, but he didn't. Uh, the altercation at the Baltimore airport. The incident involving Haku at the Baltimore airport is perhaps the most outrageous story of the notoriety acknowledged by Haku himself. <coughs> On March the 3rd, 1989, Fafita got into an altercation with five men at the Baltimore airport bar who approached him with one of them going as wrestling fake. Yeah, I'll show you how fake it is, responded Fafita. And he reached over, grabbed the man who said it, while three others jumped on him, repeatedly punching him. But they were no match for Fafita, who knocked all of them down and out, and then applied the tongue and death grip. (laughs) No, he didn't. The wrestler darts his hand under opponent's chin and grabs hold of the pressure point above the throat, squeezing the nerve. This cuts off the air supply and the opponent failed one of them. Well, what he did next was unthinkable. He bit the nose of the man he initially grabbed and spat it out. The other saw him spit out their friends' noses, and before he could fight them, I think they wisely decided to quickly evade. He acknowledged this incident years later, whilst announcing that he saw on the news that he's been sued 2.5 million for the incident. Are we reading that little paragraph? Well, in his own words, he put, and on our way out, there were five guys just sitting there. Some of the thing came out, the fake stuff. Hey, are you guys with those guys, wrestlers? The fake wrestlers on TV, you know, I said, yeah, and I'll show you. I reached over without thinking, and there were four other guys there, and he laughed. Grabbed his face, bit his nose off, then the fight started. Me and Siva kind of cleaned house and left. I'll never forget it. Oh, he'll never forget it. What about the guy that lost his fucking nose? Well, Haku, along with other wrestlers, were on the road for the majority of the year due to extensive travel that is required in pro wrestling. Someone who has no idea about the hardships of business the chance you have a career sideline and killed due to injuries is high. And telling Haku that he does for living is fake. So what made him go absolutely batshit crazy? Someone nobody would ever dare him to say again. Well, he's had uh, encounters with the police and not only was Haku tough, but he wouldn't refrain from tangling with the law enforcement when the time came. Rikishi recalled an incident in St. Louis where Haku incapacitated seven police officers who tried to arrest him. Rick Steiner himself is considered by Pierce to be one of the toughest ever, shared his experience where he witnessed a barroom brawl that involved Haku, who refused to back down when the police showed up. According to Steiner, the police shot him with mace, but he closed his eyes, sucked it in, opened his mouth, and took a deep breath as if the mace was nothing. Another account of the barroom incident was given by Hall of Famer Ted DiBiase, who said that in this case, the Tongan was looking to break the fight up and stop further damage. 
As Dibiase puts it, some of the guys got to a fight and men got involved. He was trying to help, and in the process of trying to help, he gets maced by four cops and handcuffed. Now they handcuffed him behind his back, and they said, he said, is this it? And snapped off the handcuffs. This is a ridiculous display of power, considering he was hardly a bodybuilder or powerlifter. Well, shortly after the Baltimore airport incident, Haku returned to his hotel bar, where another wrestler, the Warlord, was also drinking. Just then, several police units turned up outside. The warlord went outside and explained very politely to the officers what prompted Haku to bite the guy's off all. He also advised them if they would wait for about 15 minutes for Haku to calm down and finish his drink, then he would cooperate and leave quietly with them. But if they tried to go in and arrest him en masse, he would fight every single one of them. The officers waited. <laughs> yeah, I would wait as well. Well, Lord, warlord also revealed he was once at a club in St. Louis, with a gang of four guys who were calling Haku the N-word. And initially, Haku told him to chill and that he was just having a good time, but it didn't stop Haku guys in a matter of seconds. After a police officer, who was also a former NFL player, weighing £300, came in and ended up getting tossed across the club by Haku. That's not all, James, because there are some other violent incidences. incidents. Well, yeah, several incidents note right have been revealed by fellow wrestlers over the years. Arn Anson recounted the incident where a large cowboy was arguing with Ming. In retaliation, he pushed the cowboy through two different sets of doors using only one hand. Which hand was it? Well, Rick Rude mentioned the time that they were out in a nightclub and Tonga leaped clear over a table and knocked a guy out, guy out with a headbutt for getting fresh with a lady. One of the most influential managers of all time, Bobby Heenan, talked extensively about Ming, referring to him as the toughest man he'd ever met. The story he shared was in regards to a bar fight where he claimed Meng took his two fingers on his right hand, his index and trigger finger, he reached into the guy's mouth and he broke off the guy's bottom teeth. He then added that if he hadn't been there and seen it in front of his very own eyes, he wouldn't have believed it. He then also claimed that his close friend, Andre Giant, one of the biggest business officers of all time due to his normal size, were fearful of only two men in the world, Ming and Harley Race, another legit tough guy. Kevin Sullivan told a story about the time when he and Haku went to a tavern to grab a few beers before heading to their hotel. Since it was obvious that both weren't locals, the moment they walked into the bar, a guy playing pool called Meng a derogatory expletive. Clearly a bad idea, according to Sullivan. The next thing he knew was Ming goose Mr. Spock, and it was that very fast and furious. Another guy tried to get involved, and Haku, in a fit of rage, knocked him unconscious. And just when Sullivan thought the ordeal was over... Things got even crazier. Ming bit through the guy's shirt like a wolf, bit a chunk out of the guy's back and spit it on the floor. Well, backstage incidents. There are several backstage incidents as well. Haku was once informed by WWE management that he received a complaint from Brutus Beefcake stating that too hard during their match earlier in the night. Clearly riled up and the fact Beefcake wasn't man enough to confront him directly. Haku allegedly stole straight into the locker room and grabbed Beefcake out of the shower. He's not like JBL. He started choking Beefcake by lifting him almost two feet in the air while everyone looked on unable to do anything because they're too scared to step in and break it up. Finally, they decided to call Hulk Hogan who asked Haku politely to release Beefcake. Haku obliged simply because of the fact he respected the Hulks. <laughs> Chris Candido once shared a story where he revealed that Meng was having a conversation with him his wife, Tammy Sitch, yes, that Tammy Sitch, and Chris Jericho in the locker room. When executives Eric Bischoff and Greg Gagne walked in in front of them and started talking to Meng, Meng was none too pleased at being interrupted. As Candido puts it in his interview, he looks at them and goes, hey, and the entire locker room just froze. I was like, man, those weren't just funny stories. This guy's meant to be tough. And then Meng says, apologize to my friends, I'm talking. And everyone shuts up while Bischoff and Gagna apologise to me, Tammy and Chris. 
considering that Gagne worked as a road agent, whereas Bischoff was ahead of WCW, the fact he was able to shut up two men in a position of power, force him to apologise to his friends, and wait in order to talk business with him is yet another sign that Ming was not to be trifled with. <laughs> it's like a Chuck Norris of professional wrestling. Kevin Sullivan used to book matches, and the outcomes used Ming to his advantage. When Sullivan had to inform a few guys who would have to lose their upcoming matches, the rest of were upset and refused to do the job. Sullivan told him instead of arguing, he would go get Ming to have to deal with the situation. Situation. Those guys immediately agreed to lose their matches, if promised not to get Ming. <laughs> WCW was eventually purchased by WWE as it went out of business. Even though Ming had the potential, he never became a world champion, possibly because management was too afraid to ask him to drop the title to someone else. Also, Ming's drawing power was that like the star, uh, that of stars like Bill Goldberg, the NWO, Ric Flair, and WCW's biggest star, Sting. So why did they keep him around for seven years? Well, in the words of Eric Bischoff, we never fired him in WCW because no one had the balls to do so. <laughs> Who's going to fire Meng? Who's going to go up to him? Jake the Snake Roberts, an extremely... Hey, this is probably one of my favourite quotes ever. He, of course, he's terrified of for being snakes into the ring. Said one during the interviews, if I had a gun sitting inside a tank with one shell left and Meng is 300 yards away and he's mine, right? Well, the first thing I'm going to do is jump out of that tank and shoot myself because I don't want to wound <laughs> that son of a bitch and have pissed him off. So Jake said we'd rather kill himself than face Meng. Well, Bill Goldberg, a legitimate badass former WCW and WWE wrestler in a shoot interview, said, I guarantee you the Steiner brothers and Meng and the Barbarian would have made a huge splash on the MMA world. I don't know if a human could take Meng in his prime. I really don't. Yeah, and Arl Anderson said, bar none, the toughest wrestler I've ever faced was Meng. Ric Flair, 16-time world champion, when asked which wrestler would do well in MMA, he says, I don't think anyone would mess with Haku. If he was a young guy and got into MMA, my God, he'd have done everything. He was the toughest son of a bitch I've ever met in my whole life. No word. No lie. Take my word for it. Yeah, well, although it should be noted that gouging eyes and biting noses is prohibited in the UFC. (laughs) Well, when former WCW wrestler Perry Saturn asked who would win in a bar fight between several legitimately tough wrestlers, he chose Tonga. Nobody else would stand a chance, not even a question. He could kill everyone without blinking, and there is nothing anyone could do about it. Popular wrestler of the late 80s, Brutus Beefcake, called Haku a legitimate killer who could kill multiple people with his bare hands. Another wrestler, Rikishi, played Haku, placed Haku over WWE wrestler and UFC fighter Brock Lesnar, arguably the most dangerous man in the ring today, when asked who would win in a fight between the two in their respective primes. Legendary wrestling manager Frenchie Martin said in a shoot interview that if one was given a choice of going to hell or facing Haku, you would be well advised to choose going to hell. He spoke about an incident in a bar which he saw Haku defeat six grown men in a matter of seconds. Well, Hulk Hogan was asked to name the legitimate toughest wrestler he knew, and he said Haku for sure. And, of course, The Rock, who is uh, his nephew, called him one of the toughest men in the world and recounted the airport incident in an interview with Jimmy Kimmel. Well, clear as crystal, Fafita's reputation had become that's such that none of his friends, enemies, bigger and stronger wrestlers, not even his own bosses wanted to tangle with him for fear of retribution he might take. As one of the commentators put it, death had a near-ming experience. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but despite all these brutal stories from his peers, many have praised him for being a simple, great, loving family man. So, I mean, it might sound brutal, uh, but that's Ming for you. And we talked about Rick Steiner during that and Harley Race. We'll get to Harley Race in a minute. We'll talk about this title match and... It was all Rick Steiner. Benoit hit the German suplex, looking to go for the uh, diving headbutt, 
And Rick Steiner brought the chair in. And now Malenko's come in with the chair. And, oh, it's a heel turn. It's a switcheroo. Were they in cahoots? They were in cahoots. Dean Malenko, who was Benoit's friend, have just turned on him. Oh, who would have thought that, eh? Referee's thrown in. Uh, Rick Steiner has beaten Chris Benoit. So, there we go. Young wrestler again, getting destroyed. Saturn. Is Saturn and Malenko the same? No, they've just got Benoit out. Because Saturn were teaming up, but... They still are. Looks like Benoit's been kicked out of the group. Wow. Saturn, who, uh, I know, got rid of Shane Douglas then. And that's what led... So we talk about tough guys as well, because we kind of moved on to that and the kind of scary things that they do. One of them passed away this year, legendary Harley Race, and we're just going to recount a few of his stories. The first one is Harley Race pulls a gun on Hulk Hogan. In the mid-80s, McMahon's WWF went national, threatening the status quo of the wrestling world. Until then, numerous promotions were set up across the country, operating independently under the banner of the NWA. Yeah, so when McMahon started airing national WF shows and touring his troop into the cities normally controlled by those territorial groups, the old guard was none too happy. Until they toured in long-time NWA stronghold of Kansas City, low, that the MNT reached a boiling Supposedly, Hulk Hogan was in the dressing room when a local wrestler named Harley Race stormed in. Race walked up to a seated Hogan and punched him, knocking him to the floor. When Hogan sheepishly said that he was surprised Harley wasn't carrying a gun, Race reached into his jacket and pulled out a .38 special. Nobody got shot, but Race had made his point. Hogan later claimed that Race actually tried to burn down the WWF ring, though Race denies it. Like most regional promoters, Race lost a lot of money when WWF took over, and to make back the money he lost, he ended up going to work for McMahon just a couple of years after the gun incident. Well, Bret Hart on that incident, um, the rumour had gone around that Harley Race was threatening Sharp with a shotgun when the WF came to town because the Missouri Territory was his. And everyone, especially Hogan, was anxious about it. Harley simply walked into the dressing room, held his fingers up to his lips, signalling everyone to be quiet. He snuck up behind Hogan and then slapped him as hard as he could the shot to the ribs. Hogan turned around wincing and seeing Harley turn white as a ghost. Hogan had to be thinking, oh my God, now what the heck do I do? Then Harley, smirking, he didn't have a smile on his uh, cigarette in his gob, he had a smile on his face. Extended his hand in friendship and Hogan seemed more than a little relief. Honky Tonk Man gets it after disrespecting allegedly tough guy Harley Race. Well, Harley Race ended up in emergency, having half his, having a foot and half his intestine removed, and then he got served with divorce papers. Honky made a big mistake when he joked in the dressing room that Harley didn't have the guts anymore. Honky was one of those wrestlers who never had an ounce of real hardness in him. When one of the least tough guys disrespected legendary tough guy like Harley. Several of us took exception and Dynamite got up and backhanded Honky right off his chair. Honky wept like a baby after that, pleading for forgiveness, as told by Bret Hart. Harley Race gets revenge on Owen Hart. No. Um, I would initially prank Race by replacing a bottle of barbecue sauce with a bottle of the hottest of hot sauces at one of Harley's infamous barbecues. In reprisal, King Harley probably went a step too far when he tasted Hart backstage at a subsequent roar. It was obviously meant to be the classic handshake prank where the prankster has a buzzer concealed in his palm to give his victim a small shock. But instead of a buzzer, race had a taser of sorts. <laughs> I mean, then dropped to the floor and was knocked unconscious. All right, so now we're getting the main event matches. And up next, it's the total package. Lex Luger versus Bret the Hitman Hart. And it showed Luger and Sting were in cahoots, Dan. Absolutely. Was Sting the man that couldn't be trusted? Or was it Luger the man? Hogan was the man that couldn't be trusted. No one could be trusted. And Bret's on the attack early after Lex Luger. Luger couldn't even... He was outside, got caught in a turnbuckle. Is this finally when we're going to see a more motivated Bret Hart in the future? WCW have not used him in two years, have they? Lex Luger sent to Barry Kane and Bret's on the attack. Now Luger getting sent into the stairs. Luger begging off, but Bret 
Hello. Well, it's been all from the very get-go, and he's been on the attack, working on that lower back, of course, setting up for that sharpshooter. But like I was thinking, they've not used Bret Hart well, Tom. He's been here two years now since Montreal Screwjob. Think how hot he was at that point. They've done nothing with him, really, have they, you know? Absolutely not, no. You know, he's uh, he's not had a best of careers, seeing as though he was up until that point in WWF the top guy. You know, he was a WWF champion. He was, you know, the man. And now in he's kind of moved on to WCW and he's been a mid-card at best. Yeah, and I think it's thanks to people like Hogan again, trying to keep him at level, you know, and it's it's weird. He never joined the NWA, but we kind of don't know if he's a heel or face. And they're trying to start the feud with Goldberg and then Brett Crit, obviously, because it's been a tough year uh, with his brother, you know, and... Uh, to go against Lex Luger now, it's kind of not the opponent you want to see him go against. CW. So had Brett dropped the title to Michaels, or you know done as he was supposed to have done instead of the Montreal Screw Job, how do you think his career would have fared? Do you think he would have still been up there in the top of WWF, or would you think he'd have been ousted? I think he would have left anyway, but I think he would have returned after his three-year contract ran up. Because he says uh, during this time that he had signed another three-year contract extension to stay with WCW. So, obviously, he had you know, bad blood with WWE. And, of course, he's making a shit ton of money. But I feel like if it was uh, the Scottish screw job didn't happen, if he left on good terms, he would have been back sooner rather than later. Uh, but I think with WCW, just never u- knew how to use Bret Hart. You know, it's just a cat. And that's what Vince McMahon said to Bret. He said they won't know how to use the Hitman. And it's kind of true, because this is not the Bret Hart that everybody knows and loves, you know, and it's it's a shame he's only got a couple of months left of his career at this point. It is a huge shame, yeah. But Lex Luger, has he showed you anything these past couple of years you've been watching him week in, week out? No, absolutely not. You know, he's he's a man that, he looks like a wrestler, don't get me wrong, but that is it. And, you know, apart from being a really weird fucking character and person, no, he's he's not done anything really. The hills at the moment, Rick Steiner, Lex Luger, they're not kind of striking fear into the heart. I assume they're hills, you know, even though Sting was a face last time we checked, but now Funeral Hogan, of course. But Brett doesn't look in the best of shape himself either, you know, I mean, we looked back and saw a few matches from his career before he was even in WWF, you know, when he was a fresh-faced youngster and... He's certainly not got that now. No, without a doubt. You know, this is the thing about Brett. You can see he's phoning it in at this moment in time. He's just going through. I mean, people call this probably a standard WWE match now because that's what Brett Hart did before anybody else was create signatures and, and work towards the finish. Someone like Randy Orton does it perfectly with what Brett Hart kind of set the model on now. As he go for the sharpshoot trying to finish it. But Lex Luger with a thumb to the eye stops Brett in his tracks. <coughs> Irish whip from Luger. Looking for a hip lock takedown, but Brett reversing it. Both men tumbling over the top rope. And much like five years previous when both men co-won the Royal Rumble, they went over at the same time. Do you reckon that was it? It was like, let's do the Rumble spot. Let's, let's do that again, yeah. <laughs> and Miss Elizabeth has got the record. I don't know who that's going to help out. Maybe Brett hurt his leg. Well, Brett's hobbling around out there. But again, you know, having a match with these two, why? You know, you've got so much more talent on the roster then to have to have these two yeah I know they've got name power but they could have changed the game of name of wrestling for good had they have gone with other stars well the thing is is that they, the Nitro was held at the Kemper Arena this month in, well, 20 years ago 
And they said to Brett, because obviously that's the arena where in Hart his first time back, who would you want to pick? And he picked Benoit, and it was a fantastic matchup. And yet you go to the normal booking, and like I said, he's facing someone like Lex Luger. just doesn't make sense. Even ask the wrestlers who do you fancy, rather than just trying to put it together, you know? Absolutely, yeah. And I think that's what you see. Like, you don't need people booking the matches. You just organically ask what wrestlers... You know, who do you want to work with? Who do you think you'll work well with? Who do you think the matchup will style with? And then maybe something will blossom from exactly. that. Exactly. Well, you know, you can start a little beef on Twitter yeah. and have it escalate from there. Say, well, you know, if you want to end this once and for all, let's meet in the ring. Bang, you've got your matchup sorted. And, you know, you've got a bit of story going into it. And, you know, you can have it going from there, really. Well, Lex Luger is just a terrible worker, but he got employed for... Uh, a good few years, the only thing that's kind of stopped W from bad-mouthing him is the fact that he became very unwell, and that's due to, obviously, the massive uh, drug quantities used and uh, everything else like this. Even though you would say Bret Hart has had uh, a lot of health issues over the years. And Lex Luger's just got Bret Hart to tap out with a single-leg Boston Crab. Well, the crowd booing, and uh looked like Bret tweet that and Lex took advantage, and and that's just horrible. That's, that's Is not... that not the not the knee that was attacked with a baseball bat? Yeah, that was as well. But I mean, that's just horrible for Bret Hart having to lose to someone like Lex Luger. I mean, we've told some horrible stories, but I don't yeah. think a worse one's been told in the ring, like Lex no. Luger versus Bret Hart. But I suppose Luger celebrating his first victory that I can remember in WCW. No fair play, Luger got the job done. But the next match is going to be a doozy because. Um, it's just a thing of quality, really, and we're going to ask why the main event sucked balls so hard, but we're just going to watch it first. It's not even the main event, but this is just, it's just perfect WSW. <laughs> to Goldberg versus this slow Sid. Hopefully it won't be so slow. Slug vicious. Slug v- okay, now we're getting Medusa. Clad. She promoting her perfume, the smell of Oh, skank. yeah, new WSW's perfume. You want to smell like a WWE wrestler? A tit's jiggling about. It's called Jizz Cologne. I don't think the body has quite caught up with the face yet. I don't mind her. I mean, she was... Alandra Blaze was was okay. Her face looks like she's in her mid to late 40s and her body looks like she's 23. Well, she's got jizz in her hand and, of course, they'll be on sale. Do you, do you like the smell of jizz? Eastern European jizz. Yeah. It, take, it, smells, it smells different in other countries, I find. Absolutely. Oh, now she's getting on the announce table. She's going to jizz all over Bobby Heenan. Well, I'm looking forward to the next one. WSW Squirt. That'll be a good one. Tits. And this is how women's wrestling was treated 20 years ago. Like, and WWF, yeah, they had a women's title, but wasn't much better than that for our panties matches. And now WSW, they've got Medusa, the former London Blaze, former women's champion, hawking Cologne and giving a horrible promo on a pay-per-view. Oh, bullshit. Oh, no. And she pours it over Bobby the Brain Heenan's head. And now she's just jizzed all over the head oh. of the brain. It's I jizz. think it went in his eyes. Jizz in his mouth. Well, how dare you, Medusa. And she Bobby thinks Heenan. that is complete bullshit. And his eyes, jizz everywhere. I think he even went on Tony's arm. <clears throat> Tony lying that he said he didn't love his job. He loves his job, but he hates himself. So the story of Sting and Hogan, and Hogan won't sting, won't stab Sting in the back. But Sting stabbed Hogan in the front. With a baseball bat. Yeah. And then stabbed him repeatedly on the leg. Because he was in cahoots with Lex Luger. Of course, we watched Full Brawl last month, how we can forget. I wish I could. Well, he's going to 
eat his vitamins, say his prayers, and do a fuckload of steroids. Well, he's all out of prayers. And vitamins. So we're getting the main event early at Halloween Havoc. As we wait, Hulk Hogan, the immortal one. Bim. You gotta admit, WWE's uh, Hulk Hogan theme is pretty darn good. Where, where is he though? He's American made, but he's not coming out here yet. We're wait, waiting for the red and yellow. American. Uh, music's keep going, but there is no Hulk Hogan. Think Hogan's just making Sting wait a little bit longer, or think this is mind games? Or do you think something's happened? Oh, something must have happened. Hogan doesn't play mind games. He's normally out there. Tony doesn't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. I know what's going on, but I've been sworn to secrecy. I've signed a confidentiality contract saying that I can't tell anyone anything. But they're still uh, pursuing with the Hogan entrance theme. The Hogan's music stopped. And here Sting's music starts. So the WWE Champion's coming out here first then. And I wonder if Sting knows what's going on. A cool entrance way. That is quite lush. Is Sting going to come out here or we're going to have to wait? No, here he comes. Top belt in hand. Well, we've seen a few different faces of Sting as we started watching him on the podcast. And you can see right now, he just called him champion. But where's Hulk Hogan? Indeed. He's the man that's supposed to be challenging Sting for the belt. But he's nowhere to be seen. Did he just want to come out second? Is this the Hogan arrogance we're seeing? Hogan's music starts up again. Well, they've announced his name again, but still no Hogan as of yet. And here he comes, but wait a minute. <clears throat> he's not wearing his red and yellow American man outfit. And he's not kind of wearing his uh, black and white of the the NWO. Just kind of more of a American badass type Hulk Hogan. And what, what's he doing? Why is he not? Why is he not ready for action? His biggest match on the card. Well, Sting certainly looks ready for action. Hogan's got a watch on. He's going to fight with a watch. And he's in Sting's face right now. And Hogan now laying down. Sting into the cover. And what? Sting beats Hulk Hogan. Sting is still your champion. Hulk Hogan leaves and we've moved on to Goldberg and Sid promo. But the question is, Dan, why was it like that? Why? Well... The first pay-per-view under supposedly created genius Vince Russo, Halloween Havoc 99, should have been a turning point for World Championship Wrestling. Instead, it was yet another strike against the company on its descent into oblivion of their main event that demonstrated everything wrong with Russo's crash TV style of booking. Sting's heel turn at Full Brawl 99 was shocking, especially since the Venice Beach native had not been a full-blown villain in well over a decade. It's a fresh development out of potential, even if his opponent was the same type red and yellow wearing Hulk Hogan that had dominated the industry for a long time. Rather than delivering a straight-up main event that paid off the angle which preceded it, Russo tried to get too controversial, booking a scenario in which Hogan walked into the ring, laid down and let Sting pin him. It was controversy for controversy's sake, a huge mistake given the fact that it made no sense whatsoever in the context of the story being told. Fans looked upon the angle as what it was, another lame attempt by Russo to get fans talking. It failed as WWE was so hot at the time, the twists and turns on their weekly television far more advanced and smarter than any of the desperate attempts to grab the attentions of the audience that Russo was manufacturing. So he basically fucked it. And it takes away, the, you know, it makes WWE title. We've already seen the finger poker do. We've seen lots of other shit. It just makes it worse, doesn't it, Dan, you know? Absolutely, yeah. It's, who's going to want to watch this anymore? Yeah, with the title not meaning anything... With everything else, it really is coming to an end. And I think 1999 is the year kind of it died. I know it continued for like a year and a bit afterwards. 
but it just it was no turning back, you know. And Sid coming out, of course, he got busted up by Goldberg early in the night. He'll be looking for revenge. United States heavyweight champion. This is all about Sid being undefeated, the Millennium Man. Yeah, well, but so onto a story which is going to have a bit of payoff. Sid wearing um claret from earlier. He's kind of gone on his manufactured undefeated streak. Just matches, squashing people, pinning them. Uh, earlier on, we was cut backstage to Goldberg beating a snot out of Sid. And, um, yeah, you know, Sid still come out for this match. Goldberg said, look, you know, I'm just going to obliterate him when we get to our match. And uh, it was basically the streak versus the former streak holder. Yeah. And Goldberg is... How do you think he's been handled since uh, he's arrived on the scene? Now with what we've seen it, like I said, week in, week out. Um, terribly. You know, he should have, once he'd got beaten, he should have just kind of carried on his push up there with the upper people. And I don't know, he, they should have done more with him. I really agree, but I don't know who's to blame. I don't know. I know Goldberg's green at this point, but it's a management decision. And Hulk Hogan, as a bird just lost half a fucking beer, Consequently, she won the wet t-shirt contest for the night. So, you know, and that was two free beers. Well, Goldberg coming out ready for action. It looks, <laughs> it looks real simple. It looks like Big Cass. And also we've got DDP versus Flair still to come. And Sid's been talking about Goldberg for a long time. He's still trying to learn how to open and shut doors, bless him. Absolutely, yeah. He just tripped and fell into the door. And now oh, it's a pull, not a push. <laughs> and see, Goldberg surrounded by security guards. Well, James... Not that the security guards aren't to protect Goldberg. They're protect, to protect people from Goldberg. True story. Apart from Haku. Everyone's shit scared of Haku. Haku's a scary man. I mean, that's been a... Apart from Big Show shitting all over Brock Lesnar, that's been a scary story. What Haku can do. But now this is getting even scarier. as Goldberg coming out to face... <laughs> There's no doubt he's the biggest star that WWE got this moment. There's no doubt the crowd still react to him as well. And when he comes out like this... You can see why they need to use Goldberg if they're going to have any success in the future. Spoiler alert, they don't. But here he comes for Halloween Havoc. Who's that coming from behind? Is that Scott Hall? That is Scott Hall coming from behind with Kevin Nash. And the outsiders are beating up Goldberg. See, look, the Goldberg's security team wasn't out there protecting Goldberg. (laughs) To be fair, they let him get beaten shit out of. The outsiders are proving a point. Of course, they've uh, Kevin Nash... Put Goldberg's first loss to him at Starcade last year. Thanks to Scott Hall. But Goldberg's back up to his feet. But he shouldn't be worrying about the outsiders right now. He should be worrying about the man inside as the ring. And he's outsiders now and he's coming to get Goldberg. Sends against Barry Cade. So has this turned this to more of a level playing field after Goldberg beat the snot out of Sid? I think it has. I think Sid can't believe his luck. You see association with Nash, but... You know where he's lost. He lies with Scott Hall. And it's Goldberg's problem for having too many enemies. Goldberg still managing to fight back against Sid. <laughs> and Sid sends himself into Barry Cade. Sid was running before Goldberg even pushed him. <laughs> That's the fastest we've seen Sid move as well. Uh, Goldberg just slams Sid on top of that Barry Cade. Get the stairs. Uh, referee's not going to try and control this one. And he might have opened Sid back up again. And Sid now talking to Goldberg. Goldberg's got Sid's blood on his hands. Oh, Vicious is busted wide open, bleeding all over the fans now. Still trying his hardest to fight back against Goldberg. But Goldberg, every time Sid looks to get back in, he just cuts him off. I mean, the strikes aren't great. Bilver. And Sid managing to get into the ring. Sid open and weary. He's still got the upper hand on Goldberg. 
10 beats of the Ballors, just not over the rope. And Sid is now getting some momentum in this match, Irish whip. Big boot to Goldberg. Well, the fans are not happy about it, and Sid now, he's got the camel clutching. Goldberg might tap like Bret Hart did earlier. Well, Goldberg's going down. The fans desperately behind Goldberg. And look at Sid's face, just mental. <laughs> His eyes popping, but Goldberg's getting up. Sid up in an electric chair, just drops him. <laughs> On the ease, Goldberg picked him up. Finally down into a cover, but Sid managing to kick out. Oh, now Goldberg just trying to twist Sid's head off his shoulders. Makes you wonder how much more Sid's got left in him. Now Goldberg quick fire right hands. The referee might look at the state of Sid. Goldberg with Sid's blood just spattered all over him on his head, on his shoulders, and a lot more on his knuckles. They look like they're a tag team wearing a similar black outfits. But Goldberg with just the right and the left, and Sid's a bloody mess now on the ropes. Goldberg just sent Sid into the ropes, uh, into the turnbuckle, and just hits him with a clothesline. Just stares at him like a Terminator. Well, covers him for a pin, but only getting a two count. Two. And credit for Sid for still being in this match. Goldberg with a headbutt. And the blood just going everywhere now. The referee's saying he's going to stop it, but Sid managing to put a few kicks in. I think that's just pissing Goldberg off, though, as he catches a boot to the chest, clothesline Sid down. And that is a true crimson mask now for Sid. They're going to state of Sid, but he's fighting back. That's just pissed Goldberg off even more. He delivers a straight elbow to the head. Sid immediately falling back to his knees after trying to get up. The referee checking on Sid. Well, Sid is out. It's going to be referee stoppage. Goldberg beats Sid. Goldberg's the new United States champion. Well, he wins the title again, and now Rick Steiner coming out. And he's trying to help Sid out. Sid wants more, and Sid's looking quite good from this, actually. <clears throat> yeah, Rick's saying, look, you sure it's a good idea, mate. Let's come and get you a collar on. When Sid bounced around a little bit, I think it's the best match of the night, to be fair. Goldberg looked like a killer. Sid still had fight left in him. Referee trying to get Sid, trying to get Sid out there. And I think Goldberg is not happy. I think he's still not happy that Sid is standing. And I think that's the problem. Goldberg went there tonight to destroy Sid. And by the look at Sid, he's been in the war, but he's managed to walk out here. And Goldberg's just going to add Sid to the list and he's going to look for the outsiders as well. It's good It's, it's good booking for Goldberg, isn't it? It is good booking for Goldberg. It made him look relentless. It gave him a different side, you know, someone who's just not spearing someone. Someone who is actually out for vengeance, out for blood, wants to seriously hurt someone. And this is the Goldberg that we should have had for a while now. So Sting came out after all that and opened uh, offered an open challenge to anybody to defend his title. We didn't come to Vegas just to uh, sit there and let Hogan lay down for him. So we'll have a hopefully an open challenge after this next match. And we've seen Ric Flair a couple of times once in uh, Kimberly's bedroom getting ready for some action. Of course, it's got underneath DDP's skin, and we're going to have these two men in a strap match. And this year, Page has beaten Ric Flair for the world title. But Page has done well the past couple of years, hasn't he? You know, we've we've liked him. Yeah, he's um, well until he had the championship belt, and then that changed him. Yeah. <laughs> Seems to have changed people. But Page is, you know, he's he's got the fans got behind, him, didn't he, in his feud with Macho Man Randy Savage, and he's quite a solid worker, even though he is quite old. Let's let's not forget to say that. But Flair is no, of course, uh, spring chicken. But Absolutely he is entertaining. We, he's, he, he's been entertaining recently, hasn't he? You know? He has, yeah. You know, it's uh, his flairisms, so to speak. You know, the, the things that he does, coming around and se- coming down and sexually assaulting a uh, <laughs> an innocent young lady. 
whilst taking his watch back from uh, Eddie Guerrero. And we've seen him taking his clothes off in the middle of the ring as well, talking to Mean Gene and all sorts of shenanigans. And DDP wants to be in there with someone like Ric Flair. I don't know if this is a match that's going to uh, get people interested, put butts on seats, so to speak. So is this a, a touch four corners match? Probably not. It's probably WCW, probably disqualification finish. Ah, oh, yes. Well, Little Nature's in there as well, Charles Robinson. But you've got to think he'd be favouring Flair. You would have thought so, wouldn't you? And now Flair's got a strap and he's whipping the, whipping the back of DDP with it. And now just pulling DDP with a strap to the ring post. Sure, Flair's had a strap on his wrist a few times. Oldest ride and lo- uh, the oldest ride and longest line. They've gone to the outside now to brawl. Flair's just cracking the strap across the back of DDP. He goes for a Ric Flair tactic with a thumb to the eye. And this match didn't long. Now it's DDP using a strap against Flair. And now the former People's Champion into the people with Flair. Now DDP with the right hand taking Flair through the crowd. Going all the way up to the cheap seats now. Taking the action to the fans. So it seems as if the strap has little to no effect <laughs> being whipped across the back of people. The only thing that has effect on WWE is a poke to the eye or a low blow. Yeah, now Flair using a strap to choke out DDP. And now Flair with a strap in Paige's mouth, biting at the face of DDP. As Kimberly watches on, Flair low goes low. He's in Paige back over Barry Cave ringside. Kimberly checking on her man. Or Ric Flair getting in her face, looking for another smoochie. Sexually assaulting another woman here tonight. And Kimberly didn't like it as much as Tori did earlier. Or did she? Maybe Kimberly's thinking, I only want one old man inside me. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, that is the same Kimberly that DDP chose to not stalk over The Undertaker's less than attractive misses. And Paige sending Flair into Barricade and, and Flair has been busted wide open. I wonder if Charles Robinson is going to call for a, a referee stoppage, much like referee did in the last match with Goldberg. Flair in all sorts of trouble. And that's what you get when you kiss another woman, another man's woman. Page with a right hand and a chop. And now using the strap across Flair. He's bloody and beaten now. The crimson mask. And Flair trying to fight out with the chops. And now sending Flair into the announce table. Heenan getting out of harm's way. Tony's stuck at the moment. And now Page strapping Flair. And then Flair in all sorts of trouble. And Page is beating him up. I think Page is enjoying this rather than getting a victory. He just wants to teach Flair a lesson. And I think Flair deserves to be taught a lesson for all this sexual assault he's been doing tonight. Absolutely, yeah, you know, uh, sexual assaulters should always get their comeuppance. And Paige now looking for the diamond cutter, but it's a dreaded low blow. And Flair can't even bother to go into a cover. Now Flair with a strap just across Paige's back. And the blonde hair of Flair dyed red now with blood. Now Flair strapping up Paige in that corner. Oh, and again a low blow. Big right hand. It's been a vicious match. Now Flair styling profiling. Irish rip the clothesline by the strap. It's been all Flair. Knee drop. Now Flair's looking to finish things. With a work on that lower leg. Sets up against the bottom rope. And puts all his weight down on it. And Flair with a chop lock taking Paige's leg out. And probably damage it even worse. And he's going to set him up for the figure four very soon. Patented Ric Flair knee but not to the forehead. This time to the knee. Put the figure four in. And what else he's done? He's put the strap around Paige's neck. So that's tightened as he's got the submission in. Page might be out. No, he manages to kick out. Oh. <clears throat> Page can't move his arm without choking himself out. Very wise from the dirtiest player in the game. 
But Pace still got fight left in him. The flair cranks the leg. Free himself from the strap around the neck, but he's still got the figure four locked in on the lower half of his body. And Page managed to get to that bottom rope, but Flair says he's not going to break it. Eventually he does break it, though. Yeah, due to respect of his child. Now Flair with a classic right hand. Oh! And whilst Flair was down in position, Page went for the headbutt low. And then give him a low blow to add insult to injury. And Page has taken the strap off his own wrist and he's putting it around the neck of Flair. Hits the diamond cutter. A strap round his neck and then the diamond cutter goes for the cover. One, two, three. No. Charles Robinson refusing to count, telling the ref to ring the bell. So Charles, did he miscount then? But he still, like says, told the ref to... Oh! I don't think DDP cares about the win-loss. He's just pissed off and wants a bit of retribution. And he diamond cutters Charles Robinson. And then goes to choking out Flair. I don't think Ric Flair will be taking Sting's open challenge. Here comes David Flair with a crowbar. Kimberly's trying to stop him. Kimberly's trying to calm him down. Oh! Well, a knee to the knack has calmed him down. As she passes the crowbar to DDP, who just whacks it on the ribs of Flair. And now what's Paige going to do? Oh, no. Oh! Straight to the balls. Well, he might not have any more David Flairs running around. Now Paige going after David Flair. He's taken out all three members of the Flair family. David, Rick and Charles. Paige has sent a message. David takes the worst diamond cutter ever. Oh my days. Yeah, that was better. The second one to David. And Paige is sending a message to the Flair family. Nice and low, like DDP has been. But he's made his point by Paige. And not a bad match between the two. It wasn't a bad match, you know, we had a bit of uh, in-the-crowd stuff, I'm not sure. Oh, fucking hell. I think Kimberly liked what she saw. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of nippity! Yeah, like I said, a bit of brawling around, and then back in the ring, and Paige kind of took over, was busted open, and uh, in the end, Flair, to be fair to Flair, nothing he could do with the rage inside Paige. But David and Charles have both managed to recover from their diamond cutters. Yes, but the crowbar to the testicles has probably not flare out because, of course, that's where he mainly operates from. Indeed, yes. It would be the equivalent of doing it to Joey Ryan these days. Cool. Even though Joey Ryan's, you couldn't. You Ryan's would have broken the crowbar in half. Trying to remove the strap from around Flair's neck. It's not coming off easily. Look how sad Charles looks his nose. Flair's in serious trouble. and We don't like to see this happen to anybody. Absolutely. Seeing Charles upset is probably the worst. Uh, Rick Flair is being comforted by his one true son and David Flair. <clears throat> so who do you reckon's going to come out for Sting's open challenge then? Well, it could be anybody. It might be Jeff Jarrett. J-A-F-J-A-F-J-A-F-J-A-F-J-A-F-J-A-F-J-A-F-J-A-F-J-A-F-J-A-F-J-A-F-J-A-F-J-A-F-J-A-F-J-A-F-J-A-F-J-A-
That's what Sting's doing at the moment. Might be Kevin Nash, Scott Hall. Charles Robinson. Lex Luger. Lex Luthor. Well, Goldberg's music is playing. Where's the man? Don't forget he's the United States champion. And he's coming out to fight Sting. Sid's blood. Oh, he's had a shower. No, what's that on his... He just put a little bit of baby oil on himself, hasn't he? A little bit of baby oil. <laughs> baby oil. Goldberg coming out to answer Sting's challenge. There we go. Fans chanting Goldberg, WWE title on the line. And Sting saying, yeah, he won't open challenge, but he didn't want Goldberg. Spear, Jack, I'm out. One, two, three. Now, someone's going to come in. And... <laughs> you know he's going to come down and interrupt it. Or Sid's going to stagger down with Rick Steiner. Well, Goldberg looked like a killer earlier. And now Sting stands across the ring from him. Oh, now Sting ducks out of the ring. Well, there's no referee out here. That that would be a problem at the moment. Yes. Charles Robinson's wiped the tears away from his face after seeing his dad getting beaten down. He had to make sure Flair was okay. And here we go now. Sting and Goldberg. Goldberg and Sting. And Goldberg easily powers Sting back up into the corner. Knees to the midsection and gets in Charles Robinson's face. And now just the kicks and the right hands rocking Sting. The Irish rip Sting reversed but just ran into Goldberg. <laughs> and come off second best. <clears throat> Both these men have already had a match tonight. I think Goldberg's was a bit more uh, confrontational than Sting's was though. There's no doubt Goldberg looks laser focused as they come across the announce table. A bloke standing against Barry Cale. I don't think he enjoyed that Irish whip. And they'll put it up against the ring post. Oh, no, but Sting ducking, Goldberg hitting the metal post. I think the post has got a dent in it. He definitely shifted the ring a few inches. Now Sting trying to take advantage of this. Hits an elbow drop now going up. Sting with a huge splash. Going for the cover. No, Goldberg easily managing to kick out. Ah. Now Sting come running in. And a spear on Goldberg. But Goldberg just slipped to his feet. Straight up to his feet. Spinning heel kick. I can't believe Sting hit a spear. I've never seen that before. And now Goldberg going for the spear. Sting moving out of the way. Goldberg hitting the ring post. And now Sting's going to try and take advantage. Sting a splash. And the second time, Goldberg's still on his feet though, somehow. Third one, taking Goldberg down finally. Oh, Sting finally got Goldberg's number. Irish rip, Goldberg ducking the clothesline. Jumping over Sting. Spear. And an awesome exchange then. Goldberg. And what happens after the spear, Dan? Well, James, we'll tell you in a second. He jacks him up, hammers him down. One, two, three. And we have a new WCW World Heavyweight Champion. The man who only earlier the night won the US Heavyweight Championship. Goldberg smirking. No, James, he hasn't got a cigarette on his gob. He's got a smile on his face because he knows... The Halloween Havoc 1999 is Goldberg. No, he's draped in Goldberg. And it's been a great night destroying Sid Vicious earlier. And now finally beating Sting. And what a great exchange between Sting and Goldberg. I think the Sid match was just slightly better because that was a proper match. But well done for WSW, even with the uh, Hulk Hogan fiasco. What are your thoughts on uh, Halloween Havoc 1999, Dan? Um, it had its very, very low moments, but it had a few good and memorable moments. So it was, it was medium. What was your favourite part? Um, I don't know. I think the Goldberg, uh, Sid Vicious match was probably my favourite part of, and Goldberg becoming heavyweight champion again. 
Yeah, I think I have to agree with you. Uh, I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10 to give it a fair. I mean, like you said, you're not really missing much, but it's not bad background. Plus, the ending is quite cool as well. Unfortunately, WWE fucking shoot themselves in the foot again by next night on Nitro uh, by saying it wasn't a proper title match and stripping both men and creating a tournament at the next pay-per-view. But that is WWE moments are completely taken away. Uh, so that is it for Halloween Havoc 1999. And that is it for the Halloween special of 2019. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at WNetworkReview or... At Vince McDan, WWE. I'm at Janscore Rollins. Of course, all the Google platforms send us an email to podcast at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Instagram at WNRPodcast on Facebook. Yes, Facebook. You can come and find our page and give a like with WWE Network Review Podcast. That's going to be changing soon. Or you can come and find me and add me as a friend. I am Vince McDan. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, the WNR Podcast. All the latest clips on there. Podcasts go up at the same time on YouTube. There are places like SoundCloud. On your phone. We're on Spreaker Radio. We've got a live show, Stitch Radio, and iTunes. We can download, subscribe, rate, and review there. Our next episode will be Crown Jewel and all the latest news. But until then, I've been James Rowlands, and as always, I was joined by... Damn right. Happy Halloween, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs>